Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Well, here we are in week 11. And what a week 10 we just had. Maybe it wasn't a good week for you personally. Maybe you lost your fantasy matchups. Maybe you lost a majority of your bets. But wow, win or lose, that was a quality Sunday of entertainment. And obviously, Bills-Vikings was one of the best games we'll see in 2022 in any sport. I'll just say that the NFL puts out quite a product. Okay, in just a minute, I'm going to bring in this week's guest, Bob Harris of Football Diehards. But first, let's get the weekly injury update from Dr. Deepak Chona. Take it away, Dr. Chona. All right. Well, thank you, Pat. There are lots of injuries today to talk about, so we will dive right in. Starting with Cooper Cup. Now, the video was pretty concerning for a high ankle injury. He couldn't put weight on it right after. We're very likely looking at a multi-week absence. These tend to average three to six weeks, depending on severity, probably getting an MRI on Monday, and then we'll know a little bit more. Then we have Leonard Fournette. Now, he has a hip pointer. These are painful injuries, but structurally stable. So with the bye coming up in week 11, he does have a good chance to play week 12. Timing may work in his favor. Then Josh Allen. Now, no new injury to report. He did play very well. Uh, overall, I still wouldn't call him 100% though for another one to two weeks. And as long as he doesn't take a bad hit that torques the elbow, I would expect him to keep improving and have this fully behind him in about four weeks time. Next, Jerry Judy. This video on Judy also looked like a possible high ankle sprain. A little hard to tell for sure, but again, three to six weeks is the average timeline for these. MRI pending to tell severity, but again, lean towards multi-week absence, much like Cooper Cup. Then we have Juju Smith-Schuster. He left the game with a concussion. He does have a chance to come back for week 11, but more commonly, we would see a one-week absence. The good news is that when wide receivers do return, they come all the way back to their pre-injury level of performance. Then Zach Ertz. Now, you can't say for sure from his video, mechanism looked concerning for at least an MCL sprain. There is also the possibility from video of an ACL tear. Now, his face on the way to the locker room did not look promising. With Ertz, I would anticipate at least a multi-week absence. Best case scenario, you're dealing with an MCL sprain and two to three weeks at least. But of course, an ACL would be a season ender. Then we have Cole Komet. He got he played well, but he got hurt at the very end of the game. Looks like a thigh contusion. Most of these wouldn't cause any missed game. So look for Komet to work his way back to the practice field this week. And then we have Kyler Murray. Now, he did barely miss this week, but probably playing next week at near full strength. And same story for Matthew Stafford. Again, likely back next week. Quarterbacks coming out of concussion protocol don't tend to see any hit to their performance. So look for a strong performance from Matthew Stafford. Then we have Mark Andrews. Now, week eight video on Andrews suggested an AC joint sprain of his shoulder. The fact that it kept him from returning suggests a, a least moderate severity. We would lean towards Andrews returning after this week 10 bye. Now, David Njoku, high ankle sprains for tight ends tend to average four to five weeks. And Joku is currently at three, so he's likely to return week 11 or 12. Performance dips do commonly last about six weeks, though, for tight ends, so we wouldn't be looking to start him in his first week back regardless. And then we have Zeke Elliott. Zeke is now has now had three weeks to recover from an injury that takes three to four for most running backs. He does tend to be aggressive in his return timelines, so we would expect him to play week 11, However, it would be a little bit atypical to see him full strength before week 12. So we'd anticipate some short-term workload limitations if he's active this coming week. Then Darren Waller, unfortunately, re-aggravated hamstrings average four to six weeks for tight ends and wide receivers. But players like Waller, who are in their 30s, tend to have very high re-injury rates for the remainder of the year. Not a player I'm interested in targeting. Just look at Keenan Allen's season as a cautionary tale for this case. And then on Mike Williams, now he has an outside shot to return week 11, but his video looked like a severe high ankle and these for wide receivers trend closer to five to six weeks. He's currently at only three, will be four by the time week 11 rolls around. 
We'd anticipate his return week 12 or 13, but again with a performance dip that would probably last through about week 13. Then on his teammate, Keenan Allen. Now, Allen reaggravated his hamstring during his week 8 bye. These injuries average 4 to 6 weeks, so it would be surprising to see Allen on the field before week 12 at the earliest. These players, older players with these injuries do have tendency to linger, so I'm going to be avoiding Allen for the rest of the season in pretty much all formats regardless. And then we have DeAndre Swift. Now, it looks like he's continuing to ramp up. It usually takes a minimum of four games. He is currently at three. I still feel good about starting Jamal Williams and avoiding DeAndre Swift for at least one more game. And then Chase Young. Now, don't expect Chase Young to rush his return back. Now that he's one full year removed from ACL surgery, very likely cleared for all activities. However, he's on a losing team and he's a budding young star. So there's really minimal incentive for him to ramp up too quickly. Expect his return to the field likely around week 12. Then Buddha Baker. Now Baker's dealing with a mild high ankle sprain. For DBs, this still tends to take two to three weeks to return. He did return to practice already this past week. So expect the return to the field most likely week 11. And that's all for now. Back to you, Pat. Thank you to Dr. Deepak Chona for this week's injury report. And here with me now is Mr. Bob Harris, one of the true OGs of fantasy football content. He's a senior editor of Football Diehards, which you can find at www.footballdiehards.com. He's the co-host of the Football Diehards show on the SiriusXM Fantasy Channel, along with Mike Dempsey. He's a member of the Fantasy Sports Writers of America Hall of Fame, for goodness sakes. Find him on Twitter at Football Diehard. Hello, Bob. Thanks for joining me. I love Pat. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be able to reciprocate your many uh, great spots on the uh, Football Diehards program. A valued guest. Uh, so I uh, appreciate you asking me on. Oh, I always love coming on and talking to you and Mike. You guys are such pros. And, uh, you know, you always you always challenge me to, to bring the heat. And, uh, Bob, let me start by wishing you a belated happy birthday. What does it feel like to enter your 30s? Ah, um, I, I, I think though I was still drinking when I was in my thirties, so I don't remember that part. But if I went back, I could figure out. No, it feel, it, you know, uh, man, just uh, I think the thing I reflect on every year when I have a birthday is that wow, I've made a career out of something that nobody thought could be a career, and this is now thirty years of doing it. Uh, is just you know, I, I often reflect on the remarkable ride and some of the. Uh, you know, some of the ups and downs that have gone over time with the whole fantasy football industry. Wow, 30 years. Yeah, that is a remarkable run. Um, and so your birthday fell on an NFL Sunday. It like did. I'm guessing I'm guessing it didn't change your Sunday routine that much because I heard you on Sirius XM uh, doing the pregame with Jeff Manns. Did you do anything for your birthday yesterday otherwise, or did you and your wife celebrate some other day? Uh, no. So, you know, the, the season, you know, everyone here understands that, you know, the season rolls on. We, I took a break and I went out to dinner and uh, came back and uh, enjoyed the uh, San Francisco uh, Chargers game and uh, and some interesting developments there. So, so no, that, you know, it's just kind of how it is, you know, during football season. If you have a job that's during football season, it's kind of like being a you know, a teacher in the old days, you had the summer off while well, I have an off season, you know, off, although that's less than it was before. It used to be, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, you always kept working, uh, but you felt like you were getting ahead. Now you feel like you're just keeping up. So, uh, so, but, but either way, you know, it's just kind of the way the, the football business works. You don't, you know, you don't slow down a heck of a lot because nothing else stops. Exactly. Um, and, and since we're on the subject of birthdays and age, Bob, let me ask you something about your general approach to fantasy football like this year among the various gopher holes people could have stepped in in fantasy football uh some of the older quarterbacks just have not panned out this year Aaron Rodgers Tom Brady Russell Wilson Matthew Stafford they've all disappointed uh but you know like just dramatically underachieving relative to their career norms so do you have I don't know, a general philosophy about how to value older players. Like, are you more wary of drafting guys in their 30s or do you tend to not anticipate 
anticipate age-related decline until you actually see age-related decline? Like, for instance, would you be any less likely to draft Travis Kelsey next year because he's going to be turning 34 in October? You know, every every year we ask, you know, every beat writer we talk to, you know, well, what's the deal with Kelsey? I mean, are we seeing signs? And, and nobody sees signs. And I'll say the same for Derrick Henry, right, who, you know, I think 28 years old is a running back. That's and the workload he's had all the, you know, in recent seasons. And and the answer for those players is always, uh, you know, pretty much the same as they are unique individuals. I think we should view every player as a unique individual and take all the circumstances. You know, you mentioned some of the quarterbacks. I mean, you know, age is probably a factor or part of the factor, but, you know, per- perhaps not necessarily the performance. Like, you know, watching Tampa Bay, you know, going against Seattle. I mean, there were some passes that Tom Brady threw. I was like, damn, man, he just, he's lost nothing, right? I mean, there were some perfect passes. He's had a lot of passes dropped. He's had issues with his offensive line. Uh, there's a change in the head coaching situation. He took an unprecedented uh, break. Maybe that is age-related. Maybe not, right? You know, it was personal-related. And maybe, you know, that he's older, he's more willing to do that. I just think there, there's, I'm trying, I try not to look at a problem and, and boil it down to a single thing. And I think this is why, because it's never one thing, right? It's a combination of things. And, and age may be part of this. And, uh, but I think in, in the case of quarterbacks, I think what we're learning is, you know, experience is almost as valuable as anything, right? The more starts you get, the more you've seen, the better you process information, the more easily uh, you uh, you know pick up on what defenses are trying to do, all these things. Uh, but also, I think you get more stuck in your ways as you get older. And you know, so, so a player like Aaron Rodgers wants things to be just so. And apparently, they weren't briefly in yesterday's game when he went after Michael Malafleur. So I, you know, I, I I don't necessarily look at his age. I do think it's a factor, and I think you know, subconsciously, even if you don't like put it first and foremost in your mind. I do think it comes, you know, it becomes a factor. Like when I'm thinking about Travis Kelsey, I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, I think we all think, is this when he falls off the cliff? I don't know that he will, right? I mean, I think that's maybe more a running back thing falling off the cliff. It's definitely not a quarterback thing. So, yes, it's a factor. I do look for it. But I think what we're learning this year is all these situations are way more complex than just single issue things. And you need to like kind of kind of assess the entirety of it. And I think for a lot of these older quarterbacks that, you know, I want to say Brady for sure. I think I think to a degree Aaron Rodgers. I think for sure Matt Stafford. I mean, offensive lines. We need to we need to keep paying attention to offensive lines. I think it's something as fantasy managers we need we we were dialed back on too much, and we need to put it way more in the forefront. as what's going on in these offensive lines. You're right to bring that up, Bob. I mean, there are mitigating circumstances for all these guys, and a lot of it is offensive line related, like Brady losing basically the entire middle of his offensive line. Uh, Rodgers is not, you know, he's missed David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins for much of the season. And, of course, he lost Devontae Adams, so another yes, uh, mitigating another circumstance piece. there. Right. Exactly, and and Stafford losing his blindside protector and Andrew Whitworth, uh, all big losses there and uh, as far as Kelsey let's just hope he has a nice gentle uh, down slope because <laughs> right. like I want I want to watch this for like three or four more years with Travis Kelsey I, you know? I would love I would love to do the same but also you know uh, something you know did, caught me the other uh, I want to say two weeks ago I was watching a game watching Owen Gray make a make a catch I thought oh look it's young Travis Kelsey in the making right like you don't know that he's going to emerge as that guy but you can see what the Chiefs think there right the, that that hey we're you know we've got to we've got to have something you know something in, 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 the, in the hopper here for when this happens. So, uh, you know, obviously everyone's thinking about it and the, the guy that old, you know, at that position, it's just unusual to see him continue performing the way he's performing. But some of this is scheme. Some of this is his quarterback. I mean, again, these are all, you know, not single issue, uh, single issues to look at. It's more complex uh, circumstances. Yeah, very good point. Uh, let's talk running backs, Bob. We do not as of now, as we record this on Monday morning, know the status of Leonard Fournette's hip injury yet. I've seen a couple of the injury docs uh, suggest that it's a hip pointer, which would be a short-term injury, maybe a week, maybe two, maybe not anytime missed at all. But do you think we're going to see a longer-term shift in the dynamics of the Buccaneers' backfield with Rashad White potentially forcing a timeshare or maybe even playing ahead of Fournette? Yeah, I know we're going to talk about Jeff Wilson at some point, but I but I feel like Leonard Fournette, you know, Raheem Mostert owners are telling Leonard Fournette owners, welcome to the club. 
you know, yes. <laughs> but, yes. but, but, uh, but that's not necessarily the most horrible thing. Right. So, I mean, you know, we saw in this, in this game, Rashad White, you know, in Germany, Rashad White got the start against the Seahawks. Uh, Leonard Fournette came in. Look, I thought he, I thought he would like ran hard, you know, just the, you know, the eyeball test. He was running pretty hard in this game. So he's still capable of doing that. And he has another thing going for him. And uh, that's the, another issue with the, uh, shall we say more experienced quarterbacks. Uh, or older, if you will, uh, you know, they they tend to find guys they trust and want to stick with those guys. So he may have the benefit of being a trusted target of Tom Brady you know, to kind of add to his, uh, you know, keeps him a little more relevant a little longer. But I but I do think that, you know, we've been hearing Pat for, I want to say, three weeks, you know, kind of the, the drumbeat building and for Rashad White and running back is the position where you probably want to listen to that drumbeat and pay attention as it picks up. And so, you know, you've heard all the beat writers and, you know, it's kind of started Greg Almond made a lot, like maybe a, from the athletic made a kind of a predictive piece. And that's a lot of the starts from these kind of pieces, right? Where beat writers are asked to make some kind of prediction or, you know, go out on a limb or something. And, and sometimes that turns into actual news when it's not really actual news. So we have to be careful about it. Uh, but, you know, also we can use the visual evidence, the statistical evidence that's, you know, before us with each passing week and see that there's, there's a little something going on here. So I do think, you know, there's look in the NFL, there's room for, you know, running backs to work together in tandems and be very productive. And, you know, it's going to lead to some weeks with some, you know, undesirable outcomes, but the other weeks are going to be just fine. And I feel like this is kind of the theme of the 2022 NFL season, volatility, people. Uh, you know, uh, if you have a guy that you feel pretty comfortable that's going to have some kind of workload, be okay playing that workload. Yeah, and um, like I don't know if the Buccaneers ever wanted Fournette to be a seventy-five percent, eighty percent snap share guy, but they were sort of forced into that last year just because they did not trust Ronald Jones to either you know catch passes or, or block for Tom Brady, and they lost Gio Bernard early in the season, so it sort of forced their hand and and made Fournette uh, play that role. But like Rashad White was kind of a guy they've trusted from the start, like his, he's good in the passing game. He, he blocks. Um, so yeah, I, I, and like, man, he has shown a lot more juice than I think even the pro Rashad white people thought he was going to show. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this evolved. Now you mentioned the, uh, Jeff Wilson thing. Uh, thank you for handling that segue for me. Like when the dolphins came out of their, uh, when they come out of their week 11 by they're going on by this week. I mean, is Jeff Wilson going to be a weekly must start in fantasy? Uh, yeah, I think to the degree that we want to start a piece of this Miami offense, just like we want to start a piece of the Buffalo offense, you know, I mean, they're, I think they've risen to that level where, yeah, I want a piece of this San Francisco's offense. I think we're going to be saying the same thing. And uh, maybe some of the pieces are going to be surprising that we want to play. But uh, the, uh, you know, all the shares of Elijah Mitchell I hung on to, I'm thinking, wow, I'm sure glad I did that. But, but yeah, I, I do think. You know, I think at this point we're gonna we're gonna start him every week, and you're gonna also probably be in a position where you feel like you're gonna start Mo- Raheem Mostert every week. You know, whether your expectations are the same as what they were. Uh, so so yes, you definitely must start again. I want a piece of this Miami Dolph- Dolphins offense uh, in whatever form I can get it, and if it's Jeff Wilson Jr., uh, I'm gonna be saluting that trade that sent him to Miami all of the rest of this season. Man, and these guys are going to be going up against light boxes, running against light boxes. I mean, who is going to play base defense or cheat up a safety to stop the run against the Miami Dolphins and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? It's just nobody, and they, they have the benefit of you know being both of them going along with a coach where they've been familiar. And I, I used to say last, you know, in when they were together in San Francisco, you had to play pay really close attention to the jersey number. They're really similar in appearance and style and the way they run. And so I think Mike McDaniels has two pieces that he feels pretty comfortable and confident in. You know, that, that if, whichever one he plugs in is going to get the job done at any given time. So I do think we'll see a continued timeshare. Yeah, I've really become a Jeff Wilson fan. He's just, he's the handyman. He does whatever needs doing and, uh, you know, does it competently. So um, I, I think he's got a lot of value going forward. Let me bring up a couple of the running backs who played in Thursday night's Falcons-Panthers game, Bob. Like it mm. seemed... Mm. As if everyone was high on Cordero Patterson for week 10 after his two touchdown game in week nine coming off IR. Uh, the loss to the Panthers was the rare Falcons game where they threw more than they ran because they were right. sort of forced into that negative game script. But what we did see out of that backfield, Bob, 
it was a four-headed backfield, <laughs> the rare four-headed beast with Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, Caleb Huntley, even a little Avery Williams mixed in. So when you are doing the uh, diehards blitz segment with Mike this week, and you get questions about whether to start Cordero Patterson against the Bears, do you think you'll generally be optimistic or pessimistic about Patterson? Uh, so, you know, there may be some things we should have taken more into consideration going into that game. For instance, you know, the short turnaround, him coming off IR, things like that. Or maybe the clue we should have taken was when he was returning kickoffs to open the game. But, um, but look, I, 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 I'm going to keep playing Cordero Patterson probably and hope for that upside and, and, you know, give it at least another week and kind of see if it normalizes. Uh, but this is going to be an ongoing issue. The Falcons do like to run the football. I was surprised at how much they threw. Even in negative game scripts, they've tended to run the football. Uh, they just don't care. Uh, Arthur Smith knows what his team does well or, or what Marcus Mariota doesn't do well, maybe. Um, so <clears throat> I'm going to keep playing it. I don't think I'm going to play, you know, down to the Avery Williams level. Uh, I'm hoping this was a kind of a maybe just a one-off based on the fact it was the short turnaround with Patterson coming off IR. Uh, but I, I feel like we don't have enough information to make the final call here. So I'm going to keep playing it, you know, is what my expected outcome is, you know, what I, you know, based on the entirety of the season and then kind of adjust from there, uh, giving it another week. Yeah, we'll get more information when the Falcons play the Bears this week in a game yes. that should be interesting. The two run heaviest teams in the league, teams that are, you know, well north of 50% in their, uh, you know, percentage of running plays on their offensive snaps. What is your level of trust in Deonta Foreman right now, Bob? Because, like, obviously we were all impressed with his uh, 31 carry, 130 yard performance against the Falcons. But again, weird game script. Very run friendly for the Panthers, and we know the Panthers are not going to have many of those run friendly game scripts. And uh, right, you know, you know, we can go back, go back no further than week nine to the seven carry, twenty three yard right. outing. You know, without uh, Tuba Hubbard in the mix, so you know, we I think we've seen the range of possible outcomes here, and we should embrace it and understand what it is and play him accordingly. What are the things that you know, you know, we get questions all the time, Pat. You know, and you're you know this guy or that guy. I think everyone out there realizes that, you know, you follow a logical progression, you know, to determine what your best lineup is. And some of that is based on the best case outcomes. And, you know, you try to push the worst case outcomes out of your mind, but they're there and they're there for every player. Right. Like I'm sure the Christian McCaffrey managers who rolled him out against the Chargers in that phenomenal matchup expected way more than they got. Glad to get the touchdown. But. You know, there's, you know, for every player, this is, you know, you you can go out there, you assess the situation, you assess the role as it's been uh, and realizing you're not privy to what the game plan is going into the game because nobody is, especially not the opponents. And I mean, you know, so there's a level of secrecy here that we have to deal with as fantasy managers. And that's, you know, to me, part of the fun and the enjoyment of the game. And, and you have to be able to, you know, set that aside once the game starts and realize that you're now a passenger, right? You're not driving this anymore. You just get to sit there and watch. And, and hope that the outcomes, the best case outcomes come to pass or as many as the best case outcomes come to pass. So with Foreman, you know, looking at the best case possible outcomes and you assess that against the other players on your roster, I think he's going to come out pretty favorably in a lot of uh, in a lot of those comparisons. I like how you frame that. That's a really uh, good way to put that, I think. Um, and one more backfield I have to ask you about, Bob. Like, is it possible that Dan Campbell and his staff simply like and trust Jamal Williams more than DeAndre Swift? Because Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson mentioned last week, I think he told Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press, that Swift was not happy about his usage against the Packers in week nine. So I don't know about you, but I kind of thought we might get a squeaky wheel game. I did. For Swift in week 10. I definitely did. And man, we did not get that at all. Williams outsnapped Swift 24 to 18 and outtouched him 16 to 7. In fact, Justin Jackson had only two fewer snaps than DeAndre Swift. So, Bob, do you think fantasy managers can feel safe starting Williams every week? And do they have to pretty much park Swift on the bench until he gives us a, a show me game? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And, and, Part of that <clears throat> means that you might miss out on the show me game, right? That's something else we have to come to grips with as fantasy managers. And I think it's a reason we end up playing people 
who don't, you know, aren't helping our, our teams, right, for so long because of, of the investment in them, our expectations for them uh, are, you know, in our minds, knowing, knowing this player is going to turn into the thing I drafted him to be, and they may well. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to happen while they're in your lineup. It may have to happen while they're on your bench because other players are out there getting the job done. Uh, I've kind of uh, been in the, you know, the way you framed that question. I, I think I think a lot of us as fantasy managers have already been where we think the Lions have gotten to. They, I've trusted Jamal Williams, you know, more for most of the season. And it's, you know, you know, I'm injury agnostic, Pat, uh, for players who are not yet hurt. Right. Like I go into a season and I'm drafting the hell out of Christian McCaffrey because I don't care. He's not hurt yet. Right. <laughs> but when a player is already hurt, that changes it. I'm no longer injury agnostic. I'm paying close attention. And uh, the, the fact is, once Andre Swift got hurt, you know, he can't handle the full workload and took a month off. Still isn't ready for that full workload. And it seems to be at this point he's healthy enough. It's got to be a level of trust from the coaching staff. So he's got to re-earn that. And just like he has to re-earn it with his own coaching staff, he has to re-earn it with you, the fantasy manager. Yeah, I almost wonder if we shouldn't have seen this coming, Bob, because like sometimes hard knocks gives us these little breadcrumbs. Yes. And we saw how like beloved Jamal Williams is by his teammates and how you know charismatic he is. And the coaches love him. His teammates love him. Like when they were having a bad practice, Jamal Williams was the guy who like rallied everyone in a huddle and started railing about how losing aided him. And yeah, so like maybe also, we should go also, ahead. Pat, we should maybe listen to what, you know, what it, sometimes we're dismissive of things coaches say and, and, and stuff, but I mean, maybe we go back to two years to Anthony Lynn, right? <laughs> Remember famously yes. saying 1A, 1B, you know, and we were all pretty sure it was not going to be that, right? And, uh, and sure enough, that's what it's been ever since. So maybe that's how they valued Jamal Williams all along or how they viewed him. Yeah, I mean, as a Green Bay Packers fan, I dramatically underestimated Jamal Williams early in his career. I didn't even think he was going to stick in the NFL very long. And, uh, you know, it, he has shown us he is not a guy to be underestimated. Uh, switching gears for a minute, Bob, you relocated from New Mexico to Dallas a few years ago. How do you like your new city? Uh, so, you know, I, I, like, I like it just fine. Um, again, I don't get out much, especially during football season. So, it takes me time to get acclimated to a new place. I think, you know, I lived in Albuquerque for 20 years. I think it took me about 15 before I knew where everything was. Uh, and that'll be even more the case in Dallas. This place is nuts. Uh, you're driving the freeways here, which you drive everywhere, is, you know, just like these massive, uh, you know, uh, roads on top of roads on top of roads. It's just crazy. So, um, but I do like it. I, the great area, lots of great things to do. I think one of the things that, you know, you know me a little bit, Pat, uh, I'm a huge music person, love my, uh, love my music and the, uh, shows here. I mean, they're always shows and really good bands and things I want to see. So I have made it out to quite a few more shows than I did in Albuquerque, just because there weren't as many shows. I'm not to slight Albuquerque. They had a really nice, like kind of, uh, club level, I want to say, you know, uh, uh, thing going on where, you know, you'd see some really good bands that, you know, not arena type shows, but, but and some really great bands. So I had a really great time in Albuquerque going to see those shows, but here, you, you know, you get the whole range of things. There's nothing you can't find here in Dallas uh, pretty much any damn weekend. I know all my listeners are familiar with you, Bob, but maybe for the few who aren't, uh, you're a rock guy, classic rock, hard rock, heavy hard metal. metal. More, more, you know, I, I go, I go towards the metal edge of things and, uh, you know, love, you know, the big four Metallica, you know, Anthrax is one of the bands I saw in, you know, kind of a club setting in Albuquerque. Uh, but you know, Megadeth Slayer, those were, you know, all biggies, uh, in, you know, for me in the nineties, eighties as well, just to date myself a little bit. So yeah, so I'm really into the metal and, uh, you know, love some of the progressive rock as well. Big tool fan. Uh, I've seen them in Dallas, I think I want to say two of the last three years. So that's been phenomenal. Uh, and, uh, and so or I guess 2019 was the first one. So yeah, it's just been great. And uh, there's some bands coming here, uh, in the upcoming, uh, really band. I really like Ukrainian band, uh, Ginger that'll be here in December that I'll see, but just so many great shows here. And, uh, and, uh, just that's the thing that that's where I like to escape to, uh, when I'm not doing the football thing is mostly the music thing, or I go sit down with my cats. What about the best recent show you've seen in Dallas? Uh, so I see, so I went and saw Jerry Cantrell, who, you know, is kind of a friend and, uh, through fantasy football, right? So, um, uh, saw his Brighton tour, uh, 
was a really good show, kind of a smaller club show. I think the bigger shows, I think Tool here uh, early this year, I'm totally in the tank for Tool. Uh, you'll never hear me say uh, a bad word about them. And the shows are always phenomenal. The levels of musicianship, I'm kind of a drummer myself, you know, started playing when I was 10. So Danny Carey is, you know, a goat level guy at that, you know, kind of a Tom Brady of the drums, if you will. And uh, uh, still getting it done at an older age. So I uh, love that show. It was phenomenal. So that would be the best one I've seen in a little bit. Let me ask you one thing about your radio show with Mike Dempsey, Bob. Mm -hmm. uh, you and Mike talk to a lot of NFL beat oh, writers on the yes. Football Diehard show throughout the year, really. I mean, I love catching you guys like on Saturday nights in the offseason and you guys are talking to, you know, the Lions beat writer about what's going on with the team. Um, I know they're all fantastic, but are there yeah. like one or two beat writers you guys have really hit it off with over the years and <laughs> always get excited about having back on the show? Well, there, yeah, there. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the Lions. There's a, a, a kind of a guy that's kind of come on recently, Benjamin Raven with MLive.com, who's and like you said, everyone's fantastic. So I don't want to, don't want to short everyone, but you know, there's some that come on to speak the language, right? They know, they know what we're after. Mike Triplett was with ESPN, uh, now with New Orleans Football, uh, with New Orleans Football, and just you know, he knows exactly what we want to know, uh, and uh, and he delivers, right? And just you know, they. But I think it's the guys who speak the language, who know we're like they'll start dividing down the receiving core into guys that are, you're more interested in PPR and maybe this guy more in standard. Uh, they understand the, you know, the what we're looking for in a dynasty take as opposed to a redraft take. And this, so there's a number of them that do that. Mike Triplett might be one of the best at that. Uh, just a longtime favorite, Steve Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is phenomenal. Last year in June, he came on the show. And started telling uh, Mike and I that we better pay attention to Cordero Patterson, and uh, and so our over the course of time, our experience with him has you know led us both Mike and I to invest a fair amount in Cordero Patterson last year, and you know that worked out well. Bill Huber, for, uh, who covers the Packers, has over the course of years he's with SI now. I mean, he's almost like an honorary uh, co-host, you know. So I mean, there's so many of them. I you know I feel like if I list a few, I, I want to do a thousand of them. Because uh, they're all phenomenal. We appreciate and value all their time. And, you know, I think beat writers kind of have evolved. You know, their roles in media have evolved quite a bit due to fantasy football. A lot of things have evolved Pat, due to fantasy football in this business, uh, you know, in the media business. And and uh, they've had to go from just being people who were there and letting us know, you know, what was going on from day to day to, you know, being out more out front with their opinions and guesses and speculation and and uh, and so just as you know, I think it's opened them up, you know, their their field of work up a little bit, and, and kind of rejuvenated uh, that portion of the newspaper world. So uh, fantasy football is a great thing, and these uh, these beat writers mostly get it. You know, like so there's always going to be people that you know aren't totally on board with the fantasy aspect of things, but even then, you get some great information out of them. Always great to have uh, eyes on the ground. We like to say. Uh, to, you know, kind of help you set your baselines. Yeah, I mean, that's really shifted over the years, Bob. Like way back in the 1990s when I was at Pro Football Weekly, like we had an affiliation with a beat writer for every team. And um, like those guys, some of the some of them you could tell saw fantasy football as kind of a nuisance. Like uh, it, like it wasn't that big, but now it's it's huge. And I think most of the beat writers realize this and have gotten a little bit better about, um, you know, sort of, filtering things through that prism and disseminating information when they come on a show like diehards and know what people are looking for and uh you know distilling what they're seeing into you know the fantasy realm they, they've definitely come on to that i just uh you know quick anecdote when i got into this business you know i started doing it in 1993 and you know one of the things i did was uh it turns out that fantasy players were calling, you know, teams, media relations departments. And, you know, there were teams that were getting overwhelmed by that. And I kind of, you know, stepped in and said, hey, here's a phone number you can give those people and, and tell them I'll help them out. You know, and so it kind of built some relationships. I think there was a point in time where, you know, most of the teams, more than two thirds of them would give out my phone number if you said the word fantasy when you called their media relations. Right? Like, oh, here, take this because they just didn't want to deal with it. Well, that got out to a lot of the local newspapers as well. So I started getting calls from people saying, yeah, I called the, you know, whatever newspaper and they just gave me your number, right? Because at the time, no one cared about this. It was like the toy department of the toy department, right? If the sports was the toy department, we were like, you know, 
the the back room of that and so uh so so it's definitely the evolution of that has gone and now it you know now fantasy kind of drives uh that model quite a bit it really does and uh glad you mentioned d orlando ledbetter i've actually been reading his stuff since the 1990s bob when he was back mm-hmm. at the he was at the milwaukee journal sentinel yep. for a long time um all right bob let's talk about the chiefs like uh cuz we've got some interesting new contributors to put under the microscope here and I have been telling people for the last couple of weeks that I did not expect Kadarius Tony to have significant fantasy value this year. Uh, just figured he was not going to get enough snaps and that he would, you know, maybe occasionally pop in with a, a splash play, but nothing you could really depend on. It's possible I've been very wrong about that. Like, and we saw it yesterday. Like the Chiefs were very intent on getting him the ball. Do you have him in any of your managed leagues? And how eager would you be to start him against the Chargers in Week 11? I have him in some dynasty leagues. Um, I don't have him in any in zero redraft leagues. I think if I did draft him, I he, he's not there. He's not there now, right? <laughs> Went by the wayside. Um, I think we need to defer to uh, America's great new fantasy analyst Pat Mahomes, uh, who told us. You know, to be careful when drafting these receiving assets in Kansas City because you never know which one's going to show up any given week. And I thought, you know, this may have been an indication that there was no Nicole Hardman, uh, you know, in this game. So, uh, so like, yes, it could be, uh, you know, we, I, I want to say, you know, Kadarius Tony showed us the entire range of possible outcomes with him in that game against Dallas, right, as a rookie where he caught the 10 passes, 190 yards, then punched somebody in the head and got kicked out of the game. Right. That seems <laughs> yes. to be the that seems to encapsulate, you know, kind of where, where Kadarius Tony's at. He's a hugely explosive player with enormous talents with the ball in his hands every given time. So, I mean, you, you can play that upside. Look, I almost, you know, go there in, in a totally different circumstance and not to go astray. But, you know, like this weekend, Gabe Davis, you know, going into this game, we had tons of Gabe Davis questions. Well, you know, he's a high variance piece in a super explosive offense. As long as you take that into account. And say, yes, I realize there are going to be single-digit weeks. And I'm going to have to deal with that. And if my roster is constructed to withstand that, I'm going to have some huge rewards on other weeks. I think that's kind of Kadarius Tony, except kind of maybe a little more diminished version of that right now. You know, still not real sure that he's going to have the kind of, uh, you know, snap-to-snap role that Gabe Davis does in Buffalo. But it's a kind of, for me, a similar circumstance. Do I want a, you know, a bit player in a hugely, you know, a huge scoring offense over maybe a guy in an offense that is ah, kind of mad. He maybe has a little better role, but the offense isn't as great. You know, I think those are the questions we'll be weighing out. But I, I don't know that this is something that I'm going to be expecting every single week. Yeah, since you gave let me give you one, Bob. Would you rather have Kadarius Tony, who is, you know, the guy who gets a, a few touches in this explosive offense, or Terrace Marshall, who's like the clear number two target in <laughs> one of the worst passing offenses in the league? That's a that's a that's a really good and and so I think this comes down to roster construction for a lot of us and I talk about this during the draft season especially you know you can have risk you know in your roster without having a risky roster right so you sure. have you know so you know and sometimes that's why how I try to build my rosters and it, you know okay it doesn't always work out I don't know how things are going to play out in general but you know you kind of go with your anticipated outcomes you say, I feel pretty comfortable that this, you know, these two players are going to give me that super high weekly floor. Well, that means I need maybe a guy that can, you know, take the top off every now and again and, and put me over the top in games. And I think that's, you know, so yes, to answer the question, yeah, like Terrace Marshall Jr., I think, you know, I've kind of viewed him as, you know, maybe the best receiver in the worst situation in the league, right? It's just like, right. I can remember on draft night, my friend Matt Waldman a couple of years ago, you know, say, hey, steal the draft, right? And he's not wrong. It's just we may never find out. And this is the thing about, you know, great players. Uh, there's a lot of great players that we never see the greatness because they're just stuck in bad circumstances. And probably Marshall's going to be one of those. Now, Clyde Edwards-Alaire played four snaps against the Jaguars on Sunday. Is Isaiah Pacheco season upon us? It's Jarek McKinnon season. Stop it, Pat. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and I'm only half joking, right? So I do think it's Isaiah, you know, We've seen this, I think it was last week, it was, you know, not much better. It was a 60% for McKinnon snaps, I want to say 20, a little over 20 for Pacheco and, you know, around 15 for Edwards-Lair. I, you know, I think the trend seems to be real. Um, 
But I do think you see more McKinnon as they get closer to the end of the season. We saw it late last year. And so I think that's always going to be a factor you have to take into account. But generally speaking, uh, whatever shares of Isaiah Pacheco I have, I'm starting to feel a little better about. Yeah, um, me too. And it's like the guy, and, and speaking of uh, Matt Waldman, Waldman really liked that guy. Like yes, we we had him on our uh, Fantasy Pros Dynasty podcast, and I did not have Isaiah Pacheco on the list of guys I thought we would be talking about that day. And and uh, Waldman gave a pretty impassioned pitch for Isaiah Pacheco as an under the radar gem. And man, as that turned out, like I, I think one of the things you know you, you can look back in hindsight, but you know Brett Beach, the GM, you know talking to, during the draft season about you know hey, you're going to find a seventh round pick at running back who's going to run for a thousand yards. Right. Then he gets a running back in the seventh round and we're going, oh, really? You know, now we're seeing, you know, so sometimes, you know, the little tidbits you hear during the offseason, you know, maybe something to pay attention to. Like you never know how things are going to play out, but but you kind of understand what the desired outcomes are of the teams or the way they view things. It can be helpful in forming you when you're making draft picks, especially late in drafts and you're kind of taking grasp against draws. Yeah, so so it is with the unpredictability of the running back position. I mean, to get to be able to get a guy that big and fast and powerful in the seventh round, and you know, Lord knows he came from an atrocious offense, and uh, you know, had some other issues. But man, seems like the Chiefs have found themselves a gem. Um, Bob, who would you rather have for the rest of the season, Justin Fields or Tua Tagovailoa? I'm going to go with Tua. Uh, a couple things, I, and I should probably look at the schedule for the Dolphins more, but I, the, you know, the, the Bears have a rough spot ahead, coming ahead, you know, probably at the time we need it most. And and honestly, I mean, I think when you're drafting Justin Fields, or, you know, you're, when you're playing Justin Fields, you're playing Justin Fields. When you're playing Tua, you're playing Tyreek Hill, you're playing Jalen Waddle, you're playing all the pieces around him, you're playing Mike McDaniels. There's, you know, not to diminish Luke Getzey. I think, you know, to their credit, the Bears have, you know, gone from playing what I call the high school offense early in the season uh, to, you know, they've ramped it up and they're evolving based on the strengths of their players. Unfortunately, their players don't have the same strengths as Miami's players, you know, in my estimation. So I'd be going with the guy with the better pieces around him. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, uh, the value that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle add to Tua is just uh, tremendous. Do you have any concerns about Josh Allen's elbow going forward, Bob, or did he pretty much erase any concern with his performance against <clears throat> the Vikings? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the elbow, he did. It seems like, you know, boy, <laughs> I'm trying to count the plays where I thought, don't do that, right? I mean, how, about, always... how about actually throwing that injured <laughs> elbow at a guy after an interception? Like, what are right. you doing? Why are you right. leading with your elbow and right. trying to hit a guy? <laughs> right, right. And, and that's always going to be a thing with Josh Allen and, you know, being built like a linebacker works in his favor uh, at, at those times, but it won't every time. Right. So, uh, but no, and generally speaking, I don't have any concerns. I've, uh, you know, slight concerns that, you know, the numbers haven't been as robust. I, they weren't, there was a little slight, slight decrease. Right. But I mean, we're picky and greedy as fantasy managers. So honestly, you know, <clears throat> you're looking uh, for leverage over the field at every position every week, you know, if you have Josh Allen, you probably have leverage, leverage over the field, just like if you have Travis Kelsey. Uh, and yeah, and that, that matters, you know, not just in like daily fantasy sports, but in, you know, in your week to week, in your weekly fantasy games. I mean, winning each position battle is, is part of how you get the wins. And Josh Allen to me is still going to be that guy. And I am uh, unconcerned about the elbow as I apparently should have been all last week and just didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, as far as the Vikings game, it seemed like any issues with Josh Allen were pretty much between the ears and like where to go with the ball. And, uh, you know, not so much a matter of ball delivery. Everything seemed pretty fine there. Um, all right, Bob, so far through 10 weeks of the NFL, almost 10 weeks since we're recording this before the Monday night game, which players have hurt you so far the most? Guys you were invested in and have just not panned out. So I think, you know, like you want to say like a lot of first rounders, right? Like Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris. I mean, you know, immediately jumped to mind. I'll go with some, you know, some, a player that I invested in way more heavily than, you know, a lot of people and, and probably was willing to go a little higher. Although I'm not willing to say that, you know, the story is written on him. The chapter is not closed on James Connor, but you know, yesterday was, you know, better thanks to the touchdowns and, 
so, um, but but honestly, he's not, you know, he's not the same piece in this offense that he seemed to be last season, or maybe the offense is not the same as it was last season. Again, maybe we should look at the offensive lines and pay way closer attention to that. Um, but he would be the, you know, if you ha- if I had to name one, he would be a, you know, I mean, I could go with a player like Michael Thomas, who I bought tons of shares of, but I bought them because they were dirt cheap, right? Just, you know, you're playing that upside level of play. And I'll say this for another player that I thought might be a, a league winner for me that, you know, it's not quite happening. He's, you know, it's not horrible, but definitely not where I thought he would be is, is Alan Lazard. And maybe that's not all on Alan Lazard. I mean, he hasn't been as healthy as I'd like, but also that offense has been a little more anemic. And I'll go ahead and throw AJ Dillon in that bunch too. Damn it, AJ. Where have you gone? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, AJ Dillon was a big one for me. I just thought that they would be more run heavy this year, and they kind of have been. But um, it's just like, I don't know. Maybe they haven't had enough run friendly game scripts. It just like hasn't clicked for him. And, uh, you know, it's it's been more Aaron Jones, you know? Like- yeah. And, and honestly, I think, you know, one of the things that kind of pushed me over and really, you know, is that we got really close this season, I really started investing heavily was. Aaron Rodgers uh, telling me the, both those receivers were capable of catching 50 passes. Uh, a hook, line, and sinker, I took that. So, um, But all, again, you know, we need to pay attention to the offensive lines. I, I think they're going to be factors for a lot of these players. And it's something, uh, you know, every year I try to put more effort into, you know, keeping up with the offensive line, the, you know, the attrition, transition, changes, movements. And, uh, and it's probably a wise thing to do going forward because some of these disappointing players, look, I, I mean, if I had more shares of Jonathan Taylor, obviously he would be at the top of this list, right? I mean, you know, uh, but I think we have to remember when you're drafting first round, you know, you're drafting players in the first round, almost not as much because, you know, you think they're going to repeat what they did the year before. Or you, you're sold that they're going to be the top piece. And you know, it's when you have to get them, right? I mean, there's certain players are going in the first round and part of it, you know, like maybe I project, you know, Maybe I projected that, that, you know, some unsung player is going to rise up and play at a first round level. Well, I'm not drafting him in the first round because I don't have to. That's where value comes into play, right? You draft them at the price you get them. That's what we're really looking for, those value picks. And so, you know, I, as I look at, across the, the board at the first rounders this year, a handful of them are coming up short. But we're drafting everyone in the first round at their ceiling, right? So, so when they do come up short, I think we probably shouldn't be that surprised. Yeah. And to your point about offensive line, Bob's Bob, I mean, like we, we do need to examine that closely, but like offensive line play, not always predictable. And the Colts are a really good example of that. Like we, we thought that was one of the better offensive lines in the league. And, you know, by any metrics, any uh, organization that like tries to chart performance of offensive line, PFF football outsiders, like they have told us the Colts offensive line has been bad this year. And yeah, like, we, yeah. we couldn't have seen that coming. Right. And I mean, sometimes uh, some of the efforts, like we've seen some quick turnarounds, the Chargers last year, or the Chiefs, you know, in recent memory have, you know, done some quick turnarounds. Maybe we thought the Bengals were going to do the same. Right. <laughs> and, and so, and, and that didn't work out the way we expected. Right. So, you know, it's something we need to pay close attention to. Yeah. What about uh, players you have hit on? The, the successes, guys that you were kind of in on all along and have actually sort of gone according to plan. Yeah, I'll go ahead and throw two into that basket. You know, we do the magazines. I think, you know, a lot of the writing and a lot of the heavy lifting for those comes in May and June. And I think I identified him as the quarterback, the breakout, a breakout quarterback. Just, just and like, this is not rocket science. It's easy. It's like, wow, look at all these pieces they've added. This is phenomenal. And so, uh, you know, and, you know, going with Mike McDaniel as an innovative young offensive mind, I think he's one that came out. Look, I was all in on, you know, like this is not, you know, to pat my own back for, you know, for realizing the obvious, but for not be not fearing, you know, like the, the Christian McCaffrey uh, did not dial back on him at all. Derrick Henry did not dial back on him at all. I think a lot of people dial back because of injury concerns or, you know, whatever. Again, the injury agnosticity works in my favor on occasion. Sometimes it doesn't, but I think what we've learned is is anybody can get hurt. Look, Cooper Cup got hurt yesterday, but but, but even going into the draft, Pat, you know, I, I you know I think at one point I was just you know kind of kicking around, and and eight of the twelve people going with first round ADPs had missed significant time over the course of their career to injuries, and the guys who hadn't were all in their second year or you know going into their third year or whatever. And so, and then, you know, and now some of them have missed time as Jonathan Taylor. So, 
you know, it's football is a tough sport, right? It's a collision sport. Anyone can get hurt at any given time. And I realized, you know, uh, you know how we kind of blow up our fears when these things happen. I try not to do that. I try to stay level headed. So I think some of the guys that I, you know, stuck with that other people maybe bailed on, I felt really, uh, you know, I've, I was, I always enjoy that. Uh, but just, you know, I should say one of the misses or that, you know, I didn't invest in, but one of the misses that, that I wish I had hit on was Saquon Barkley. I wasn't buying into the, the, to the, uh, to the, I don't want to say the Renaissance, but I mean, I thought the offense for the Giants would be better, but it was such a low bar, right? <laughs> they averaged like, you know, what, 15 points a game or something last year. I said, yeah, it's going to be better, but it, is it going to be better enough for me to get this excited? And, you know, do I really believe Saquon Barkley suddenly going to become the explosive player that he was in the past? I, I wasn't sure of that, and I should have been. Saquon Barkley, I apologize, sir. Yeah, and I don't know if that offense really is much better. I mean, it was kind of a one-man show with Saquon single-handedly putting away the Texans uh, yesterday, but yeah, it's it's worked out pretty well for him so far. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Bob Harris of Football Diehards. Go check out his great work at www.footballdiehards.com. Catch Bob Harris and Mike Dempsey on the Football Diehard show on the Sirius XM Fantasy Channel, and find him on Twitter at Football Diehard. Bob, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for stopping by. Appreciate you having me, Pat. Thanks. That's it for the show. My thanks once again to our guest, the great Bob Harris of Football Diehards. Find him on Twitter at Football Diehard. I need to thank my magnificent producer, Calm Kelly. The show would not be possible without him. Find Calm Kelly at Overtime Ireland on Twitter. The music for Fits on Fantasy is provided by the legendary Milwaukee ska band International Jet Sets. And to all of you, my sincere gratitude for listening to and supporting the show. Please come back again next week when I will be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everyone. I've got a head.